Good morning, Wyoming. Welcome to Behind Wyoming Energy, your Wyoming Energy podcast. I'm Mark Hamilton. I'm your host. And we look forward to visiting with everyone today. We'll take a look at energy prices. Yes, those prices are still going up. We also will take a look at history as we look at some oil fields in the state. And we did learn last week about the importance of oil as it starved off the extinction of the whales. So you can learn a lot here on our show. I hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening. Texas Intermediate Crude is at 118.30 here on the 6th day of June. That's up from last week of 115.19. Brent Crude is at 119.20. Natural Gas is at 8.99, more or less $9. Gasoline at 4.20. The national average for gasoline here in the U.S. is at 4.72 and diesel at 5.56. Coal prices for the Powder River Basin are at 15.45. Natural gas, as far as storage numbers, are starting to have a slight build, and we'll keep an eye on that. There's a lot of gas now is going to LNG processing, so we'll see where that goes through the summer. That'll have an impact on us next winter. Marcellus Shale continues as the largest producing area for natural gas, with a Permian in second place. This is kind of a side tidbit, the price at Opal in southwest Wyoming the origins of the Ruby Pipeline that delivers natural gas into the Mullen Hub in Oregon rose 90 cents from 815 to 905 in MMBTU. Rig count for Wyoming is at 18, up from 16, and the U.S. numbers at 574. Kind of some general information here on Wyoming I found rather interesting. Wyoming produces 13 times more energy than it consumes, and it is the second biggest net energy supplier among the states after Texas. Wyoming has the top coal producing state since 1986, accounting for about two-thirds of all coal mined in the United States in 2020. Wyoming was the eighth largest crude oil producing state in the nation in 2021, accounting for slightly more than two percent of the U.S. total crude oil output. The state was the ninth largest natural gas producer and accounted for about 3% of the U.S. marketed gas production. Wyoming's large energy producing sector and small population helped make the state have the highest per capita energy consumption and the second most energy intensive state economy after Louisiana. Wind power in Wyoming has more than doubled in 2019 and accounted for 19% of the state's electrical net generation in 2021. The amount of installed wind power generating capacity in the state nearly doubled to just over 3,000 megawatts during 2020 and 2021. Other news, the Interior Department said it plans to cut rents and fees for solar and wind projects on public land by about 50% as the Biden administration aims to bolster renewable projects. The administration will also increase the number of staff members who process environmental reviews and permits by establishing five coordinating offices in Washington, Arizona, California, Nevada, and Utah. Rather interesting that emphasis on solar and wind projects and not much emphasis on oil and gas. 
The Biden administration also has agreed to reconsider the cumulative climate effects of oil and gas leases on nearly 4 million acres in a settlement approved this week by a federal judge. Judge Rudolph Contreras of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia this week approved voluntary settlements requiring the Bureau of Land Management to redo its, its analysis of leases under the National Environmental Policy Act. In a press release from Tallgrass, Tallgrass announced that it will enter into an agreement with Archer Daniel Midland that would pave the way for Tallgrass to capture carbon dioxide from ADM's corn processing complex in Columbus, Nebraska, and transport it to Tallgrass's Eastern Wyoming sequestration hub for permanent underground storage. By utilizing a converted natural gas pipeline for CO2 transportation, Tallgrass minimizes the need for new pipeline infrastructure while enabling ADM, a global leader in sustainable products, to further decarbonize its global operation and strengthen Nebraska's agricultural industry. Tallgrass is advancing a project to convert its Trailblazer natural gas pipeline to CO2 transportation service and establish an approximately 400-mile CO2 pipeline to serve as the background of a regional CO2 transportation system. Pipeline, which runs through Wyoming, Colorado, and Nebraska, will be capable of transporting more than 10 million tons of CO2 per year for permanent sequestration and is ideally situated to transport CO2 from ADM's plant and other commercial and industrial sources to a sequestration hub in eastern Wyoming. In preparation for this initiative, Tallgrass recently announced plans to develop a commercial-scale CO2 sequestration hub in eastern Wyoming and expects to be in service in 2024. We are excited to work on this project with ADM, a company that already demonstrated it is on the cutting edge of carbon capture, said Kyle Quackenbush, segment president at Tallgrass. We're able to repurpose existing infrastructure to create significant CO2 transportation capacity without impacting natural gas service in the region. At the same time, we're enabling customers to meet their decarbonization goals as well as minimize environmental and landowner impact. Our CO2 pipeline will be capable of transporting significant additional CO2 volumes to accommodate the capture, transportation, and sequestration of many other emission sources in the region. And finally, in a press release from the Wyoming Public Service Commission, Public Service Commission of Wyoming has granted Pacific Corp certificates of public convenience and necessity May 10th, allowing two important transmission lines to proceed with construction. The approval was granted in the Wyoming Commission's open deliberations and will be followed by a written order. The Public Service Commission of Utah granted a similar approval April 8th. The Gateway South High Voltage Transmission Line segment, part of Pacific Corp's Energy Gateway Transmission Expansion Project, will extend capacity 400 miles from the RS substation near Medicine Bow, Wyoming, into the Clover substation near Mona, Utah. Also receiving approval was segment D1 of the Gateway West Line, which runs approximately 75 miles between the existing Windstar substation in eastern Wyoming and the Arias substation. Both transmission additions are planned to be in service in late 2024. Construction is anticipated to begin in early June for Gateway South and in August for segment D1. These investments also support Wyoming's energy policy by increasing the reliability of Wyoming transmission networks, said Gary Hogaveen, President and CEO of Rocky Mountain Power. Transmission additions allow the interconnection of the additional generation 
resources our customers will need in the coming years, including the evaluation of potential carbon capture projects that Wyoming officials have requested, and pursuing advanced nuclear and energy storage with TerraPower, among other technologies in our diversified clean energy strategy. We continue on with our history of Wyoming, and today we'll be reading from wyominghistory.org, an article published by Rebecca Hine, and this is the five Wyoming oil fields and the transformation of an economy. The story of Wyoming in the 20th century is a story of a shift from ranching and farming economy to an individual one dominated by the extraction of oil, gas, and coal. Part of the story is contained in the history of the five states' major oil fields, the Lance Creek, Elk Basin, Oregon Basin, Grass Creek, and the Big Muddy Fields. The Lance Creek field in Niobrara County was the most prolific of the five by the end of 1956, followed by Elk Basin and Oregon Basin fields in Park County, Grass Creek in Hot Springs County, and the Big Muddy Field in Converse County. All were early large producers, sparking the development of roads, pipelines, and refineries as the market for oil grew. By the early 1920s, the Salt Creek field in Natrona County was one of the most productive in the nation, but the business was growing fast across the state. These other fields, less well known now, contributed substantially to Wyoming's wealth in its oil business, drilling and production know-how, and spurred the birth and growth of towns in far-flung parts of the state. Wyoming's early oil fields were almost always discovered by amateur or professional geologists who noticed the presence of oil seeps or, more often, as time went on, on anaclines, arch strata that trapped oil underground under the crest. As producers and geologists accumulated experience with each discovery, investors became more willing to risk money on drilling, even after a succession of dry holes or shallow wells in a given location. Although... The expertise of the geologist was not widely accepted at first. By 1915, it was generally known that oil could be found where the experts predicted. As of 2013, all these fields were still producing, with the Elk Basin in the lead, followed by Oregon Basin, Grass Creek, Lance Creek, and Big Muddy. Salt Creek remains the largest, producing 4.5 billion barrels in 2013 alone. C.A. Fisher was the first geologist to investigate and map a portion of the Oregon Basin, 14 miles southeast of Cody, Wyoming. A 1907 bulletin emphasized the likely oil and gas producing properties in the area. In 1908, another geologist, Thomas Harrison, then working for the U.S. Government Land Office in Cheyenne, Wyoming, visited the basin, not looking for oil, but inspecting the coal mines and irrigation projects. Harrison compared the geology of Oregon Basin to that of other Wyoming fields and moved to take advantage of what he decided was a good opportunity. By September 1912, Harrison became vice president of Anopac, a company that included two experienced drillers from the Salt Creek field. They had already began drilling in the Oregon Basin that summer, with the first significant well completed on August 24, 1912. Drilling reached 1,322 feet when it penetrated a natural gas-bearing strata and was halted. The enormous pressure from the gas blew dirt and rocks 50 feet into the air, endangering the crew. A more serious episode occurred the following winter. In early September 1912, Harrison had drilled a second deep well, Pauline, but it caved in. 
filled with water, and the tools were lost in the hole. In January and February of 1913, at temperatures of 16 degrees below zero, and with freezing water spraying on them, Harrison's crew attempted to partially fill in the cave well with that watery hole. Their goal was to pack the hole with rocks and concrete casing until the artificial bottom reached a level that had previously shown an oil-bearing sand. They finally succeeded in filling the hole to the desired level, but could not pump out any oil. Harrison had nothing to show for all that work. Another 10 years of off-and-on drilling followed. Inipac and the Oregon Basin Oil and Gas Company had discovered oil in small quantities, but with additional high-pressure gas wells continuing to cause problems. Exploration, it was becoming clear, was not viable for a small company. The Ohio Oil Company, which later became Marathon, began drilling in the fall of 1924 under the able supervision of John Jack McFadden. Ohio made the first major oil strike in Oregon Basin on February 1, 1927. The well produced 800 barrels per day. By 1947, the major producers in the field were, in addition to the Ohio, the Texas Company, which is Texaco, Husky Refinery, Pacific Western Oil Corporation, and the interests of Casper businessman Fred Goldstein. The Oregon Basin cumulative production through 1956 was 76.6 million barrels, a figure that includes the West Oregon Basin field discovered in May of 1955. The Elk Basin laps the border between Carbon County, Montana, and northeastern Park County, Wyoming, 20 miles north of Powell. Farmer and geologist George Ketchum, who had a small farm at Cali, Wyoming, is generally credited with first recognizing Elk Basin as a likely source of oil. Ketchum accompanied C.A. Fisher through Elk Basin in 1906. Possibly Fisher was on the same expedition that took him through the Oregon Basin. Eventually, the Utah-Wyoming Oil Company rented a rig for drilling, and a local company, Grubstake Oil, was organized to finance a well. In addition, however, another group of Grable and Basin men had taken out a claim in the same area. In a fight over drilling rights, there was a confrontation in the field when the Grubstake men turned back another outfit at gunpoint. On October 8, 1915, Nine years after Ketchum and Fisher first investigated Elk Basin, the Midwest Refining Company, by then well-established in the Natrona County fields, drilled the Discovery Well, the first successive well in Elk Basin that produced between 50 and 150 barrels of oil a day. The Midwest Company was soon joined by Ohio and eventually the Continental Oil Company as well. As in the Oregon Basin exploration, a small company such as Grubstake lost out to larger ones because the drilling was expensive and at least a few dry holes were inevitable. After drilling one well, Grubstake men were forced to quit. By 1916, both the Midwest and Ohio companies built camps for the workers in Elk Basin. This settlement became a small town with streets and sidewalks, a hotel, community hall, hospital, gas pump, post office, and a barbershop. School was conducted in two buildings, one for grades 1 to 6, the other for grades 7 to 8. Serving 80 students at its peak, high school students attended classes in Powell, boarding there because roads between Powell and Elk Basin were bad. The population of Elk Basin peaked in between 800 and 1,000 people sometime in early 1940, where the town had to be moved to Polecat Bench, a few miles south. Poisonous hydrogen sulfide gas escaping from the deeper wells was endangering the health of workers and their families. 
Housing at Polecat Bench was more modern, and the roads had improved, siphoning residents away to Powell. In 1955, the town was disbanded, along with the company camps, and some of the residents purchased their houses at Polecat Bench and moved them to Powell. Elk Basin and South Elk Basin, discovered in June 1945, together produced a cumulative total of 92.8 million barrels of oil by 1956. Just a little note on today's story, if you notice the reference to these wells when they were drilled hitting gas and then having to walk away from the well to let it depressure so they can continue on to go deeper looking for oil. That was a common practice uh, here in Wyoming and, and across the industry. There wasn't a market, remember, at that time for natural gas, and we didn't have pipeline uh, structure in place, and I'd like to have some of that natural gas that was vented off. So we'll continue on in our next episode. We'll take a look at Lance Creek. We'll take a look at Grass Creek and Big Muddy Fields as we continue on with the history of Wyoming oil fields. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. And per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for energy here at Behind Wyoming Energy, your everything Wyoming energy podcast.